Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back to the Paula Price Show. We are here. Woo, last week was the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. You know, I'm rubbing in. I'm rubbing it all the way in. For those of you who were not here, you missed God. It's the knob on the left that loosens it. You missed it. It was powerful. It was amazing. It was a visitation is what that event was. The way the Lord showed up was that of a visitation. And not just his presence sweeping through in a moment of praise and worship, although he did do that there. It was like nothing I've ever seen. I said it on my show yesterday. I'll say it forever. The, what happened there is, is, is just powerful. I'm without words. And I always have words. I have other, I have other people's words. Some of my students over here being the amen quiet, <laughs> unsolicited affirmation. And so if you did not make it to June, or if you did make it to June, you know you're coming back in November for the NEAR Summit, New Era Apostleship Restitution Summit, November 20th through the 23rd. It is the Wednesday through Saturday. And you know what? I might as well say Sunday. We roll over into Sunday service. The event itself officially closes early afternoon on Saturday, but then we just keep going Sunday morning. Mm. You saw what happened Sunday here after TPTI. Praise God. And so November, we don't even know, but we know. You want to make it here. We have the dignitary dinner on Wednesday, the 20th, and then we roll into the event Thursday morning, and we just keep going. We just keep going. In November and so more details to come but you want to make sure that you clear your schedule now if you're talking about money and prices look save budget put something aside this is actually a very economic yeah you, you can pay into it you can pay your way in and for November as well there are many ways to make something happen if you are determined to be here you will be here People have gotten second jobs, part-time jobs. This is my trip money. They have driven instead of flown. They have carpooled together. They've rented buses to have somebody drive them out. This is 2019. There are many ways around obstacles in 2019. And so you want to do that. You want to be here. Now, let's talk about what happened with these prayer cards and this Earl. It's called Earl. Because when it's really anointed oil, it's Earl. Okay, the Earl of Gladness. <laughs> so we had prayer. I'm telling you what. We had prayer I don't know how many times at this event, more times than ever before. Dr. Price did what she dubbed an early bird special. Now, there's no guarantee that that will happen again. I'm telling you, with the move of God, there was a little pushback from the demonic realm. So she had to come on down and handle things personally. Earlier in the morning, moved through the room. We were moving all over the place. I felt like I was in a Betty Hinn conference because if anybody's ever been in 
they've been in here, they just lay folk out and they actually move my way to get out. So we didn't do that. <laughs> we'll let you have your moment. But then we put moving over here and moving over there. And we have people lined up here and lined up here and lined up here. Go this way, go this way, go this way. It was amazing. But Dr. Price, uh, this is anointing oil that we sold. And she prayed over this oil, like put the, the big bottles before they were on her spirit. I'm a witness. I was in the room. And the power of God moved through her and the earl. <laughs> you know how she's going to pray for you. She said, I'll give you my anointing. All right. So that was imparted into this oil. And then we used it at the event. <laughs> used it on ourselves. We're the happiest people I know right now. The anointing <laughs> not kidding. So we're, we are going to have this available for you to buy online. And also the prayer shawls. Are you okay, girl? The what? To lead. I'm being educated right now. All right. These were prayed over by the apostles in training class. And at the event, look, you said, mm. at the event, Dr. Price was telling folks, buy them and take them off the table. And then she imparted her anointing into them and then put them around us and then prayed and we flew across the room. It was amazing. And that, so what we're going to do for you is to have a special offer. If you buy both of these, you'll receive uh, free, right? So we said free. Um, there were some decrees and things that Dr. Price was ushering forth in a different service in the event. And we're going to have you be able to download that for free with your purchase of these two. They're, they're not set up yet quite online because we just had this moment two minutes before the show started. So don't bombard the website just yet. Because Prophet Dia will say, what's going on? You've done it to me again. What's going on? So give it until tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, Friday, you can go and these products will be available for your purchase. Obviously, these will be shipped to you because you can't download oil. You, know, you can't download prayer cloths as much as we like to say. All you have to do is pull it in. All right. So we're, we're going to offer that, the testimony. Oh, yes. Okay, so we had an apostle in training in town, and um, she herself was coming through a, a healing in her own body, miraculous healing, and was called to the hospital. One of her relatives who was in Tulsa was in the hospital going out, I mean, signing off, and she took her anointing oil and laid hands on this person, and it came back. And I tell you what, she knew. She knew. This, wo this woman is changed forever. This apostle is changed forever because of this event. When I tell you our events are not just events, they are visitations. And when God visits, because we think it's just uh, how many times you're laid out on the floor, and that was a nice piece of it, but that seals the deal on what he's done. The training delivers you, Lord God. The education, the worship, the ceremony, all of it. The Lord shows up, and you don't even realize how much God is not showing up where you are until you go to where he is showing up. You're like, oh, he's here, like all of this. He brought his entourage, and he brought his crew, and he brought his, and the, and the people, he like the angels showed up, and the power showed up, and the wisdom showed up. People left delivered. Our keynote speakers left. Look, everybody, when I tell you, if you saw Prophet Akeem's video, he put it online, Dr. Price prayer for him, and it was like, whoa, you could feel through the video. The power. I'm excited. I'm so excited. 
and we all know. All right. I'm going to get your uh, anointing oil, and is this a prayer or a scripture? scripture? It's a scripture that comes with your oil and, and this. And um, take it seriously. Take it seriously. We've cheapened a lot of things in the body of Christ, and we have downplayed and diminished because a few people did it wrong. But just because somebody, as Dr. Price has touched on the beginning, just because somebody didn't do it right doesn't mean it shouldn't be done at all. And we are the ones who are going to do it the correct way. So there's that event. If you missed it, it's over. No, it's not for sale. It will not be on the market. It will be locked up in the archives of Price University because that level of training, quite honestly, you need to pay a price for. And you also need to be in the right environment to hear it and not just run off. We protect the precious things of God. And those kind of moments are precious, and they should be protected as well. All right. Now, this week's audio archive of the week is part two of Are You a Sheep or a Goat? <laughs> and she kept going in. This one is shorter, so we're actually giving you a markdown price of $4.99 for this one this week. But she spoke, began with moving from knowledge and understanding to wisdom. She picked up where she left off on uh, Are You a Sheep or a Goat Part 1, and then proceeded to give us a very quick, bulleted, yet powerful profile of the goat. Are you a goat? And the main point of, if you're the person who does not think you should change, refuses to change, or changes when you're in front of your leader, and then acts crazy whenever you're in front of the sheep, then you are a goat. If you are a lone ranger and always wants to be off by yourself doing all these other things, then you are goatish. She said, because goats are off on the mountainside by themselves while the sheep are with the flock. And she came out to 2 Corinthians 3.14 and talked about how Scripture tells us you must change. And uh, she said, the example she gave is when you come out of Islam, you don't go back to the mosque. When you come out and, and transforming, changing the form of your thinking, changing the form of your actions, changing the form of your outcomes, it's all a part of changing how we must decrease so Christ can increase. We rattle off these scriptures all the time and completely disassociate what they mean from their physical manifestation in our lives and the responsibility that we have to see to it that it happens. So you cannot say in Christ, and she talks about being under the right shepherd, bless God, and how your submission to your shepherd is essential to your transformation. I love it. She said, if you want to be an individual, you're still a goat. In the middle of individual is divide. You are divisive if you insist on being yourself, if you insist on being apart from everybody else, if, you, if, if it hurts you to conform. And we know we have uniforms. Our apostles in training have uniforms when we're in official ceremonies. The apostles do, the prophets, the prophets in training. Everybody has uniforms. And I can tell by the people who struggle to keep their uniform the same as everybody else's, they are going to struggle with conforming to the whole. Oh, I just have to have my hem a little different. I needed to add a little sparkle here. I had to adjust my sleeves here. I had to tweak my jacket there. Now, now it's me. Now I feel more like me. Goatish. Can we say goatish? Goatish behavior. And Dr. Bryce had to get on us about that when we first came into uniformity in our own church. She said, take off all that big jewelry. Look, bring those shoes down. Well, this is a uniform 
look, we are actually disappearing into the office when we are in uniform. And that's a whole other class for a whole other day. But she said that a real shepherd is not going to leave you messy. How? You want to know if you're under a real shepherd. We'll get to the right shepherd later. <laughs> a real shepherd is not going, to, all right, not going to leave you messy. Because you could be in a church that is not for you, but that shepherd is no joke. It might not, no, that's not what God called me to or whatever. But a real one will not leave you messy. There are some people, they're allowed to get messy and then get worse under their shepherd. She talked about how if you're a leader, your own personal household must be in order. That's God, all right? And how you will be judged for your home. She said if you can't, if you can't get your family to buy in, how are you going to get a congregation to? If you can't clean up your own children, how are you going to clean up the sheep? That same mantle that you use in your house, domestic house, is the one that carries over into the house of the Lord. And we see messy, messy, saints, just a life of mess, finances of mess, and it's because of the head. When people come under Dr. Price's mantle, everything straightens up. You like that? I can clean my car. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> All of a sudden, you can see the disorder that was your comfort zone before. You can see the dirt, the mess. Oh, I need to wipe this. I had to go through my house and just dump everything. All of a sudden, I looked around like, oh, I was getting on my own nerves. That's when you know you're under the right leader. You're getting on your own nerves. Clean out your own mess. Clean out your own stuff. So I thought that was a real, really great thing. What you talk about when you fight the uh, leadership, but you are kind to the main leader, you are a goat. We had people in our ministry years ago. Dr. Price, I'm only here for you. And they used to think that was a very proud thing to say because in other ministries it was like, yes, thank you, thank you, because you have these leaders who just need people to bow to them. And Dr. Price said, you're not doing yourself any favors. Like, can't nobody blow down on your ego. Like the chief apostle, especially when you think it's God. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 I need you to respect my leadership because if you disrespect who I chose, then you're really disrespecting who I am. And I thought, whoa, that was something. And that person had to pause and think for a minute. They were not with us too much longer because they did not want to submit to the leadership. They only wanted to come and do what Dr. Price needed when she needed them and call me directly and all those kind of things. If you're that person who wants to bypass leadership just to get to the leader, you have some goatish tendencies. And has anybody seen the fainting goats? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should look up fainting goats. Anything sorrow women fall over. And they fall over together. Boom. Running, fall out. Have <laughs> you seen the fainting goats? It's so strange. All right. And she said that God did not save you to stay the same. If you don't want to change, you're a goat. They're selfish. And goatish people, goatish tendencies are, don't ask me to do if I've already volunteered. Don't ask me to press in this area. I only, you can say, you know you're goatish if you say, I came here for this, and that's all I'm doing. No, that's actually not true. This is not your job where they hired you for one job. And then you have to go through all kinds of paperwork to do something else. This is the house of the Lord. And so if you're that person who wants to be left alone, who wants to do what you want to do on your terms, those are the ones that sometimes are a little slow to catch because they seem so present, the goatish, you know, the undercover goatish, 
they seem so present and so willing to help, and then you realize, oh, they're willing to help if that's what they want to do and not if it's somebody else's idea. The leadership comes and says, actually, you know what, your department, we need you to do this instead of this. We need you to greet at the door instead of uh, seat people down front, and then you start getting a little sideways and everything. That might be a little goatish tendencies coming out because you are there to volunteer on your terms, to serve on your terms. Goats are there on their terms, and then they chew everything up. Goats don't even eat everything. They just chew everything. They chew it, and then they spit it out, or they digest it, and then it's just gross. And so there's a whole lot of chewing. You're somebody who just chews on the sheep, chews on the leadership, chews on the way things are done, chew, 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 that you are goatish. And she talked about the sheep being flock-minded. You want to be with the sheep. You actually want to take care of each other that you're a sheep. You're there as a sheepy to contribute. So that is Are You a Sheep or a Goat Part 2. It's like 30 minutes. And it, it just, it, it helps. If you want to be helped. You really, really need to buy the audios and download them and listen to what's in our e-store, not just what's available online, but you need to go to the store and invest in yourself, invest in your future, invest in uh, who God called you to be, take it to the next level, even with school and education. I keep saying, and I will continue to say, what you receive online is nothing compared to education. We are informing, and Dr. Price is certainly an educator, so you do get that, uh, you get that here, but it's not school. Just like when people came to the event, they said, oh, yeah, no, no, this is nothing like online. Uh-uh. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> like Apostle Holt, oh, wow. This is, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Oh, my. The whole time. Because it's a completely different setting, not just anointing, but there are also different objectives. I think we wrap too much under anointing. It's just a different anointing. It's actually a different objective, looking for a different outcome. It's a different delivery. We were in school, and then we were on the floor again. Amen, Dr. Amen. I'm excited. You know, first of all, I can tell you, I've been doing this a lot of years, and I'm going to be happily say this is one of the best. We say it every year, but then I think when we do, we kind of challenge God a little bit. Oh, you think that's it? Well, let me show you what else I have. Okay, so you think that's it? Well, let me show you what else we have. But I can honestly say the power of God is what's there to heal, to deliver, set free, affirm, and confirm. We always talk about heal, deliver, set free, but sometimes the power of God confirms. And And so a lot of people were. So I want to welcome you. I've missed you all. I've been gone a little bit. So I missed you guys. And welcome, you know what it is, Aha! to the Jesus and Paula show. You know, I told, I love it. You know, he likes it. So he likes his name being a top villain. He said, well, I am first. I am the Alpha and the Omega. So guess what? I am wonderfully Please, I'll give them top billing. So this is Facebook. I have no idea where we're going with this, but it's going to be the Jesus and Paula show because we're going to give Jesus what he likes, and then Paula would be blessed. 
Because the rule of life is that you get the highest power you can to back you. You appease it. Hallelujah. Take care of it, and it rewards you. And so Jesus would be the highest, far above all principality and power and every name that is named in heaven and on earth. So I figure if I'm going to go ahead on for a win, I need to go to he who has won. <laughs> Welcome this week. I'm excited about it, um, what we've got going on. And so, as you can see, today we're going to talk about how to avoid sinning. Ooh. I know, don't you just love this stuff? Don't you, don't you just love it? And it brought myself, I was so excited. I had a bell and on Thursday, a bell, I had a buzzer, I had a gavel. I was like, uh-oh, somebody remembered who I am and how I like to do what I do. So I'm excited. I was so excited I hit that bell. But I'm going to tell you, we walked in that. One of the reasons that, two reasons, one of you know, two reasons we don't make it available. So that you understand. The first, first primary reason is that many of the people who are, who are brought, who come, you know, just keep playing. Anyhow, but many of the people who come, lay, I mean, they lay it all down. They put out thousands and thousands of dollars, and they believe God for it. They believe God for airfare. They believe God for hotels. They even believe God for time off. And so God is a rewarder of faith, but he says he's also a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Not just notice him. Those that diligently seek him. And so they come, some of them put it all on the line. God, I'm doing this because you say so. I'm doing this because you, and because they do that, I refuse to reward their effort with a discounted version. In other words, I'm saying you could stay home and got the same thing because I'm going to sell the event. I think that's unjust for me. I said, I think. Now, God may tell some other people, bless them. You know, we even had a guy, who, a, a man, pastor, who pressed his way from England. He said, but I had to be in the midst of it. I had to be in the anointing. And so, I, God told me a long time ago, and I want to say maybe the second or third one that I did, he said, don't sell it because it's an insult to the people who press me for it. So we don't sell it. Now, what do we do with it? We put it on our university. It becomes a class. We have one of those. But he told me, he said, a lot of people, their first thought is, I'm not, I can't afford it. And he said, and they never try to see if I can. They'll say, well, I'm sorry, I won't be able to get the time off. They never try to see if I am really over all principality, power, etc. And so his attitude is that we need to stop rewarding the people who didn't press by mocking the people who do. Now, I will say, you know, we sell, as you can see, we have, what do we have? We got the uh, archives, we got the online store, we got plenty for you to listen to. But if you can't believe God for training and on-site training, you will not believe God for your own healing and deliverance. And if you can't heal you, you can't heal anybody. Because I mean, and I'm not just talking physically, but I'm saying that it is time out for the, for the Christians to keep freeloading off God. That freeloading spirit, he is tired of it. But I just think it should be free. And go to a 
a, another store. Go to a little discount store. Get to a soup line. Soup lines are free. Go to the little clothes pantry. They're free. If you think that what God has to offer should be free, go to where he tells them to give it away. We were sitting down with the businessman a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were really talking about a couple of new ventures that we were, we were doing, it, and we were pricing this. And you know this businessman, well-off man, smart, intelligent, has, I mean, really has done well for himself. And so we threw out, a, we threw out the church crop. I will say that. Hallelujah. I'm good. I'm good. Y'all got coffee? I got coffee. Church On the church crop. So we threw out the church front. And he said, oh, the people he works with said, oh, no, they'll think that's way too low. And, and so the church price has a subtle tag assigned to it that says, not complicated, not worth much effort, and definitely unchallenging. Mm-hmm. So he said, I think it should be this. Well, trust me, what he said was like almost four times what we said. And so I'm trying to get this right. Y'all just give me a minute. Hold on. I got it. I'm trying to get it. Don't help me because I'm independent. Okay, I got it. I'm independent. And you know, I say that just to activate my team because my team is really good. And they know that every now and then I'm like, I got this. I got this. I can help. So let's go back to the church price. Because, <laughs> see, that's what you all want. You want the church price. So what is the church price? What does it consist of? Number one, the church price consists of your showing up as you want, coming to church for an experience and not necessarily an education or development, and making it affordable so you can give your real money what you think is worth. And, and you have all of these people that talk about, yeah, well, you know, folks just aren't going to do this and they aren't going to do that. Now, he wasn't exorbitant. Not at all. But he did come up with a number that, that assured we get a harvest on our labors and our work. Because the church price doesn't want to give a harvest. See, the church price is not about harvest. You fuss and argue and, and really uh, slander and people who have a price to what they got from God. You treat it so badly as if you were a third world citizen and not a first world wealthy nation citizen. See, if I'm in Africa, we got a church price. Maybe. Because a lot of them got some money. Hallelujah. But if we go to some indigent area, but in the first world, you all have jobs. You, got, you get your hair done regularly. You get your nails done. You got jewels on your nails. Everybody else got a little, little bit of crystal, baby. You got a real diamond and carrot on. If anybody knew it, they take your finger. You get your hair done. You ride a high-end car. You do a lot. And you get loans for all of that. Come on now. Excuse me. You get loans for all of that. And so what you have to recognize is that you, as a church person, do not think God's product is quality. And you know what? You might be right, because I've seen a lot of things, high-dollar things that deserve no dollars. But you should investigate the quality. You should. That is what you should do. You shouldn't make an assumption that everything that comes out of Jesus Christ in his, through his church 
is met. Now, you believe God is brilliant on your job. You believe it. You believe God is brilliant in the world. I mean, you pay athletes all this money. The Lord doesn't bless them. You pay them. You pay entertainers and celebrities all this money. The Lord doesn't bless them. They charge you ridiculous prices for tickets, and you have to. You need ventilation to get in the seat because you're so high up, you can't breathe. And you're glad to say it because it's in your mind is quality. So I want to tell you this here for me personally. I feel like you don't have a right to call God, God of God, and all knowledge, not mission, if you don't want to put your money where your mouth is. Now, if you have somebody that's not worth it, that's fine. You know, we just keep getting the same thing all the time. Because I've had that. I'm like, I'm not going. I just won't go. See, I won't go to anything that's not worth my time, let alone my money. I'm very, very fussy about my time. So, if I say I'm coming and I sit through it, you better know it's something because I don't waste my time. Because time not only is money, but time is also lost. You can recoup money, but you can't ever recoup time. So that day you lost three days. So some of you all have very good reasons for not doing it. But you need to go and do your homework, at least investigate it to see if it's worth it. But God told me if they don't want to press for me, after you press all of these years for me, he said, then they don't need it. They don't deserve it. And they don't want it. You know, because what you want, you do. I'm going to make that vacation. I'm going to make that cruise. I'm going to make that, that resort. Are you kidding? If a, a girl I have to empty my bank account, boy, I've got to go into everything I have. You're going to go to the, the 401k, take out a loan. You're going to do all of that. So you just need to know values. And I agree with you. If it is, if it's not worth the value, then you shouldn't touch. You shouldn't even devolve it. But if it's, if it's worth it, and your only reason for not considering it's worth it because it's church or because we're Christian or ministers, you need to change that paradox. Your mind needs to shift to not including all of us in it. Because in my organization, we do well. And we do well because I believe that Jesus Christ is the most awesome thing that ever touched the planet. I believe from the moment he carved that on those mountains or the moment he said, let there be, I believe he's awesome. And I do everything in our power, and so does my team. Because those who can't don't say, that's just how it is. Because to us, excellence is not an accident. Excellence is not an incident. Excellence is a heart. And it's a qualifying heart. It, it is the quality of Christ. And the quality of Christ is seen in creation everywhere you go. Everywhere. Wherever God is. You look at how this thing runs. I know you like to listen to those scientists. Some people love those scientists. And say, well, it's a, well, it's a mistake. I say, well, if you're a mistake, why are you walking around with credentials telling me to listen to you? Because you clearly are part of this mistake. But I don't. I love watching those shows. I love watching the creativity and the innovation of the Holy Ghost. I love the ingenuity. I am a fan of the operation of his hand. I think God is about the coolest, smartest, brightest thing we ever had. And you know what? None of those words. He doesn't even deserve those people's words as compliments or commendations. But they're just all, all that we have to offer him. This man is like something. I'm telling you. 
This man is like something you can't drink. I don't care what the devil says. I don't care how badly Hollywood tries to paint him. I don't care about any of that. I'm telling you, this man is like nothing that ever was. That's why he is one and only. There is no, trust me, Jesus has no, has no natural predators. He does not have any natural or equal competitors. He doesn't have it because he made everything. And he was smart enough to make everything less than himself. You know, if you want to make sure you stay on top, you just withhold a few things. A <laughs> <laughs> few things, then you get gone. <laughs> we talk about Jesus is our elder brother. And I'm thinking, yeah, but can you imagine the elder brother that didn't have to wait for the parents to copulate his siblings? He just spewed them out of his own being. So we'll never be like that. We'll know, never know what it's like to spit out another being made exactly like ourselves for our purposes and to sustain them by giving them the power to do the same. You can talk about elder brother because I know it's a lot of a lot of people, just a lot of Christian Jews, they, they can tolerate Jesus if they can put down him to a brother. But I'm going to tell you this, the man is God. And he was God before we got here. See, Jesus didn't just start making people because he went back home. This man has been creating and producing creatures of all kinds. We're not, if, if, all they, if all God did was make humans and make them self-reproducing, you know, auto-creating, he, if that's all he did, he still would be worth the glory. But he didn't stop there. This man made everything. We're talking about leaves, bugs, gnats, creatures. You know, we're talking about the bugs. Right? When we sit down, we're like, so I'm, I'm with you. Know, we, we <laughs> where you get them bugs? <laughs> okay, because the bug too little to make with your hand. So he had to have another way to make a bug. And he made all of that once. You see, they can talk their talk, but he did it once. No, it's once. We have never had to go back and say, so how do we make another human? Now, they're trying, and it's pitiful. They're so embarrassing. It's, it's, it's whatever. But you know what? Children got to try to emulate their family. That's what they do. But this man did it once. He made one man, one woman, one of every, a tool of every species, wiped it all out, and then took the two that he had made, put them in a boat, and said, when y'all get out, get busy. Repopulate the land. <laughs> you see, because people say, well, why are you a Christian? I'm thinking, why aren't you? Why aren't you a Christian? Because Or maybe we're talking about a Christian. Because, see, sometimes Christian is not Christian. So I'm a Christian. So I got the long eye, the long bow, and y'all got the short bow. <laughs> Yes, I am. I love that man. You know, I love him. Yes, I do. I man. Never, ever came back. Never came back to make another species. And then he turns around and just decides to keep things interesting. He throws new ones in our creation, in our earth, for us to discover and say, oh, this is something new. They call it evolution. I call it destination. They arrive. Because there's nothing in God's realm that he did not make. 
You know, I, I frankly, you know, when you say, why, why don't I believe in evolution? Nobody ever proved that a, a, a speaker, when you bang something with something dead, inanimate, something animate comes from it. That's never been proved. You know, I go, bang, I should get some duck, fly, bird, feather. I'll take a feather. No, I won't. But nobody's ever proven it. But it's the only lie Satan has to keep going, to keep you out of scripture. And thus keep you out of God. So as, as far as I'm concerned, I ask really interesting questions because I want to know. Because if you're a scientist and your job is to tell me process and procedures, then you need to tell me the process, the, the biological, anatomical, chemical, time frame, neurological steps sequentially that turns one creature into another. I want to, don't tell me about, well, we just looked at this one and looked at that one. Whatever. Did, you ever, did it ever cross your mind? They could have been the same thing, just different colors. We don't look at somebody who's one person's hair is red, the other one is black, talking about they evolved from a red hair to a black hair. We don't look at that. But, but that was the way they were back then. Back then, you know, in the 18th century, and, uh, you know, 16th, most of the 18th and 19th, 20th century, it, the big thing was breaking the back of the church and breaking the church's hold on society. And they came up with every kind of lie and deception, etc. You're talking about people telling you they studied something, and we have to take their word for it. We have to take their word for the land that they, they built, and we have to take their word that they washed their hands. You look at some of those period pieces. That I mean, some of that is, is, is scientific research and that was nuts. Phrenology. The, you know, when you look at those heads with all of the writings on what happens, whatever, we have to take somebody's word for it. They didn't get into a brain. They didn't get into a head. They just touched it in different ways. And well, some of the people, they did kind of get in there because they did those lobotomies and whatnot. <laughs> and cruel back then, people. Cruel. But, that, but you have to understand the battle was to break the church's hold on the world, on the earth. And so how do we do it? We had to do it. And in the beginning was the word. So what was the first thing that going to attack is the word? In the beginning was the word. So they came and attacked the word. And you had all of these preachers who just really relished feeling God and experiencing God, who could not stand up and say, but I need you to tell me what Brother Darwin had over there in the Galapagos. I want to know. See, I want to know what tools he had, what instruments he had, or are we just talking about plain old observation? Because if we're talking about plain old observation, I see, he see, we all see. But people were so excited about having an alternative to Christianity and creationism, they jumped on that idiot bandwagon. And they hold on to it because their only alternative is what they don't want. So you Christians sit down and you're all excited when your professor stand and give you this whole yarn about evolution. And you never say, show me, because we have machines now. We've got machines, we've got x-ray, we've got microwaves, we've got all kinds of instruments, we've got everything going on. Did you put an x-ray on a creature, let it stay there for however long, because you said 500 million years, so you know what, you won't even be around to see if you're right or wrong. That's convenient. Isn't 
And so I like to watch these things, and I sit there, and I listen to them, and some of the, the yarns they spread, I'm thinking, and you tell us the Bible is crazy? When actual life, literal, everyday living and development, etc., actually all of that, I said, oh, wait a minute, hold on, evolution, out of some sort of term. So something's a kept finished. And we got something else from it that it just doesn't make sense. They've never been able to prove it. They can't prove it, which is why they're trying to find an alternative. Because they're always looking for an alternative to the Almighty because they want to be indebted to them. And you need to stop thinking that that, that, that rebellion is intelligence. Now, rebels are intelligent. I know. I'm one. But I think it's time for saints to rebel against what they've been buying into. There's no way to prove that. There's no, they have yet to say a Big Bang Theory. And, I mean, we had a whole show where they just had one fable after another. And that's how they were, fables. And so they just have, the series have weekly fables based on really odd-looking people saying that they are special because they've got this intelligence about how the, thing, how the unseen became seen. Yet we don't believe in unseen. And Thinkers. You see, we're confused. They're confused. I'm not. I'm very clear. You know, God sat down. He's so looking for people to listen to him. He sat down and told me how time began. He sat down and told me how light began. He even told me, oh, this week I was growing away. He told me why people sleep. I said, God, you better sleep. <laughs> that man, he wants to be known. He wants to tell the truth, but we, he has a, a, a creation that can't abide truth, can't tolerate truth. And so he told me that. I said, you better get out of here. And then I told him, hey, Jesus, that was pretty far. But if you don't want to deal with the truth, no, I'm not telling you. If you don't want to deal with the truth of creation, not happening. Mm-mm, not ready. I'm going to release it, but not yet. Because there's a whole lot more to it. Because I keep telling people, revelation requires research to prove that it's a pre-existing truth. Because revelation is a pre-existing truth that has been operating and regulating and controlling its subject or object behind the scenes. And when you have finished your research, I call this the three R's, the revelation Research brings you into realization. How I many of you all said, "Man, I didn't realize that so and so." That, I didn't realize that was. I didn't realize realization is when tangibility is shown, or the concreteness and of tangibility of the revelations research will tell us where the realization is. So until we, like you hear people say, "Okay, I've been in." Oh man, it just gets me. When I get in those meetings, and you know what I mean. You get in those meetings. Okay, this is revelation. This is hot revelation from God. Hot. And they tell you something that's in the science book that's accurate. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, if you weren't so busy stopping that feeling, you would have researched that, and you would have called it a disclosure right. and not a revelation. Because some things are plain old disclosures. Yeah? Are they wrong with me? 
See, so you need to see. We need articulation. You need education so that you can distinguish, differentiate, and articulate things, and not call it some revelation. Like God just—it might be a personal revelation, but don't do not call it a corporate or cosmic revelation or ecclesial revelation. It's not. You can research. I am so I'm impressed with humanity. I sometimes, you know, I know that we need to get all clean and whatever, but humanity has been doing a lot of work since the beginning of time and bringing that information forward just because it's not in your sphere. Maybe it's not in your area, but it's been there. And you look back and say, huh, wow, yeah, okay. So remember this. If you're going to call something a revelation and not a disclosure, not a divulgence, then you need to research it thoroughly and make sure that it is a revelation that will bring about a corresponding realization in people who hear it so that they can act on that revelation intelligently, responsibly, and profitably. Because that's the purpose of revelation, not just to make you look good on stage and think you say, wow, They'll tell you when I'm preaching half the time, they're telling me it's a revelation. I'm just getting through my, I got, no, I got this worked out. I'm going to get this through y'all. They'll tell me, hold, hold on. Stop, stop, hold on. Stop, stop, stop. We got to soak that in a little bit. <laughs> Could you just take a breath? Because I'm like, a, I mean, I'm like a high-powered rifle. And I mean automatic rifle. I'm, I'm going to give you 1,500 rounds in a minute.
He lived with God. He was born a citizen of God's world. He wasn't born a citizen of this world. You all treat him as if he was born the prince of this world. No, he was banished from his world where he was a cherub, and he was banished to earth in prison as the prince of darkness. In prison. So he did not, you know, a lot of times you think that, the, again, research. You must research. When people come to our school, they want to go and just, just wow us. Just like they would want to wow us with the deep revelations they have. And they just want to wow us. I don't even know why they try to wow me. I don't even get it. Because I don't know wow a lot when you're 35 years digging into this thing. You know? Now, you would have gotten me my first five, ten years because I was like, ooh, ooh. And then I go home and God said, okay, so now look that up. Because, you know, you can't talk about really whole hum and impress the Holy Ghost. Response to that stuff with the whole hum. Yeah. Unimpressed. Attitude. He's like, go look that up. I said, huh? He said, go look that up. And so sometimes I'm sitting there, and they're preaching from a wrong foundation, and it's like crazy as it can be. God said, turn your Bible to, go there. I'm looking in front of them, checking it, because God is saying, that's not me. He said, man, that's one of them 70 fallen devils that I gave some people to. That is not me. So you have to be committed to the integrity of truth for God to give you true revelation. Because revelation should motivate you to research it so that you don't discredit your source, which is the Almighty. Or mislead people, lead them astray with your humanist knowledge, with your demonic knowledge, with your carnal knowledge, with your... Let's get real. Commandments of men logic. A lot of this stuff, y'all got revelations on what the man invented or deceived or conceived. And, and, and not the son of man. Not the man Christ Jesus. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but God wants to use you greatly, but not errantly. See, God may permit you to be errant, but he will use you like he uses Satan. To spread darkness, to feed the children of darkness, and to make sure that the darkness is less informed than the light. <laughs> I don't know about you. I got to get something. Yeah. I got to get that. Yeah. Oh, that's nice, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would have been. But. Because when your revelation has been thoroughly researched out, researched, searched out, researched, because the Bible tells you about searching out, searching out, searching out, but when your revelation has been thoroughly researched, it will bring about realization when people hear it. Life go on, revelation go on, wisdom begins to open up. See, there's a whole kind of, of explosive. And I mean major explosive dynamic and flow of of, of, of uh, insight that people get from true revelation. And it's not because the revelation is something they've never heard, but it could be something. But what you did, putting in the time, led them to its realization. And from realization, it's application. How is this applied in my life? How do I use ability? 
Those are the things that we have gotten away from because we're in that quick and quick and everything education. Well, just read it and tell me what happened. And just read it and tell us what you think. And just read it and just write what comes to your mind. Not here. Not here. Because what comes to your mind when you read any kind of information, and that becomes the only assessment, the only assessor of what you got going on. When if that's what whatever comes to your mind is what was in your mind when you came, because what because you didn't come to learn, you didn't come to change, you didn't come to be different. Because people in this individual and in individuality environment, people are not about changing; they're about gaining. And so they gain some new knowledge, they fix it, and they write it up the way they want. Did you all like that? Hallelujah! Wasn't that good? Yes. Revelation takes work. You need to work your revelation. Work it. Break it down. Research it. Comb various sources or the the what's beneath the shell. Because revelation comes as a shell, like peanuts, like nuts, it's a shell. You know, you get a raw nut, you say, Wow, this this outer shell is really great, open it up and it's something else in there. So you always you must always crack the shell to examine and research what's in that revelation, what you're packaging. Don't just run with it at face value. You can get a really beautiful piece of fruit, but it could be full of all kinds of corruption, all kinds of contaminants. And then in the end, you don't want to you don't even want to call it fruit. So God wants to teach you some things about revelation. So when people say that to me, I ask them, where's your research? Because I want to know. Because if you want me to take it as novel, wow, you want my vow. I'm going to need you to dig it up and give me some. Mm-hmm. You know, my wows are precious. They're very costly. But a lot of them have been eliminated by the decades of research God has compelled me to conduct on everything he said. So when he told me about um, why people sleep, when he told me that, I thought, huh, wow, God, that's amazing. When he told me about time, I understood that. When he told me, because he, he, he wants to talk. He really wants to talk, but do you know what? He can't talk to you if you only have a fifth grade understanding of him. He cannot talk to you if you only have a junior high school exposure to him. You're staying in the church where they say, well, we just want it to be simple. But if you want to be simple, that's fine. You're never going to get beyond the simple side of God. It's never going to happen because God wastes nothing, and he cursed idolatry. He cursed idleness. So if it's your, you're in that church because it's easy, and I mean today we, people have made it so um so uh, what can I not just accept it, but so commendable for you to say, that's too deep for me. Mm-hmm. And you plead with that. And yet you want God to talk. There are a lot of prayers God cannot answer because you don't have the mental capacity, the spiritual maturity, or the practical or intelligence to receive his answer and to know what to do with it. A lot of people died because they, they were in those, those simple environments, that stay simple Christian, stay simple church, 
They were there, and what God needed to give them the solution was complex. It was more complex than their environment. Y'all still flowing with me? See, so, and I know that because God, because he spent all of this time, educated me, upgraded me. He upgraded me for me to be able to comprehend him and for him to confide in me. Oh, I don't know about you. I got to hit something, drink something. I'm not sure if I'm going to hit or drink or what. I'm okay. We got to hit out. We got to indulge it. We got to buzz it. We got water. <laughs> it's important. Are you all hearing me? I mean, I, I want you to get it that you keep, that you've been told education doesn't matter. You've been told you don't need to go to school to please God. You've been told all of that. And you literally have locked God's intelligence and God's wisdom to your naivety. So God has to talk baby talk to you just the way parents have to use easy or simple language to talk to little kids. You can't run with a whole big sentence on a little kid unless they're a genius. I mean, the little kid is going to do all the God like, yeah, but why? But why? But why? But why? But why? And if you got that many whys in your life, you are too simple of an environment. Because God answers questions and he answers prayer. When people ask me questions, he knows that he can drop that answer on me because I have the, literally have the spiritual structure, the zoological structure, the intellectual structure. He knows that I can do it. And he, all, and he knows it so well, he'll have me study something a year, three months, six months in advance for the time that I've got to answer that question. So I know it when I get there. But then again, research. Do you, are you all understanding? Do you, are you realizing what we're saying here? Because you want to run on, on, on what you hear. You just want to stop at the audiation, that, that, that audio. You don't want to get into all of the other elements that you take that audio and literally make it practical. Well, all I know is I heard the Lord say, so-and-so and so-and-so. But God's only going to say what you have the capacity to process for him effectively, credibly, reputably, and properly. I'm telling you, I, all these years, I, I used to cry. I can't even, I would cry. Jesus, I have to look up every word. God, I said, God, I know what that means. Do you? When he says do you, you might as well just go get the dictionary. Because you don't. <laughs> Clearly, he wouldn't ask if you knew. And so I, I had to go through over and over again, up all night long, just looking at work, looking through them, breaking words down, going back to the, going and, and taking the obsolete words and contemporizing them again. Because, you know, they obsoleted anything that was going to give the church glory or Jesus uh, any kind of props. So I had to go in there. I had to dig up the archaic words, and I had to go through them and understand that this whole warfare that we're looking about is not about cultural agenda or people's individually. Individuality is a God fight. And the fallen gods want to fight their creator and their maker. So once I got that, then everything else began to fall in line. 
you, it was about for many Christians and many pastors, it was a matter of, hey, a fresh revelation that freed you to be you, that made you stronger than God, more sovereign than the Almighty, that made your family your God, made your job your idol. So you had no idea that all of those years that it became all about us, it wasn't because the producers and purveyors of those doctrines cared about you or your captivity. It was 100% their aim to deliver the fallen gods that were held captive by Jesus Christ and his church. That's the truth. How could you get that? The battle, I don't care what they tell you. Well, we're, well, the reason we're doing this is because humans are suffering. Humans were suffering under the church, and now the church has been, they've been battling us long enough. Why are they still suffering if you all are a better solution? So maybe there's something a little more involved in this that we don't want to talk about. You know, but we sent them some water, and we sent them some so-and-so. Well, we did that, and they're still suffering. They're just happier in their suffering. Or they're at least provided. Do I have a problem with that? No, I don't. I don't. I love those services. I mean, I like the little one where they sent the women the, the, the um, solar panels so they can warm water. I thought that was the greatest thing, but I'm still saying for me and for those of us who are apostles and prophets, we cannot judge according to our eyes. We've got to look beneath the surface. We've got to understand motives. Because let me tell you some predators get candy all the time. Predators get gifts all the time. That's a, that's a major way to drop people's concern or their skepticism. So we have to know because we have to realize that it's our job to trace that cord all the way down to its true in its root. And to know that why do I teach our, our students that? Because you have to stop jumping on every bandwagon. We jump on every bandwagon. We hitch our wagons to every star. Everything is about getting away from Jesus or getting away from the church. Well, I'm not trying to get away from Jesus. I just don't want the church. Then why are you not going to a church where Jesus is? Instead, you should believe in church altogether. Try to talk about I'm not trying to leave Jesus. Right. If, if it was just a, a church issue, you would not be sitting home on Sunday. You would not be on church. You would not be at mosque and yoga, uh, yoga centers and whatnot. You are, you're, you're leaving Jesus. You're just too, uh, you're too afraid to say it because he may react. Right. And if he reacts, that could cost you. So you try to con him because after all, he's not the way, the truth, and the lie. He's not the spirit of truth. See, I, when people tell me I just got a problem with the church, I listen to where they're going to church. What are you doing about it? Well, I just left. Okay, so where are you going? I'm just staying home. It's just me and Jesus. Oh, really? Because this man loves his church, and he goes to church every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is in church every Sunday. Well, you don't understand. The Bible said, where there's two or three gathered together, I'm in their midst. Yeah, and if you're in a little village where there's no Jesus, y'all three are on. <laughs> and he is there. But if you're in a place where, they have, where he has literally built and erected 
hundreds and thousands of churches and you can't find one that he wants to set you in, you better know the problem is you and he's not concerned about shepherding you. Now, you sick? That's fine. You're, you know, housebound, I'm with you all day long. But if you can get up and go to the mall on Sunday, you need to stop by the Lord's church. If you can get up and go to the pancake house because it's your family's day, then you can stop by the Lord's church. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> if you can get up and shop, go to the golf range, sit up and go to the, the stadium, then you can stop by the Lord's church. And you will not do it until your separation and isolation from him begins to literally contaminate your body. I don't care if you get up and go to the 8 o'clock service. Honey, 8 o'clock service is good. God bless you. But you should love this man and care enough about him to give him first fruits. And your Sabbath first fruits should be with his people. Well, you know what I said, I don't get fed. Then go where you can get fed and stop going where you feed it someone else. Because, see, you listen to all of these, all of these televangelists tell you it didn't matter. And you know what? They're doing all right, but you're not. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't know why I'm saying this. I'm going to tell you something you should know. A church is an organism, and a congregation is a body. And even if you have a dysfunctioning member in your body, you still get covered, protected, and fed and nourished because you're in that body. If your name is not on anybody's rolls and you don't show up except two times, two, three times a year, I mean, I want to catch Christmas, I want to catch um, Resurrection, I want to catch Mother's Day, and maybe Thanksgiving, because, you know, that's a little iffy. So you got three or four times a year that you go to the man's church, and God knows you're not going because he's important. And you can't say, well, I'm going out of a sense of duty because his duty is really 52 Sundays. He's <laughs> not four. Some of you all, your kids are in trouble. Your family's in trouble, etc. Because in your mind, you're catching church at home. And so Jesus is like, "But I told you not to what forsake the what? How did that go? Assembling of yourself together with the saints, not the sinners. So on a golf course, you're not. Come on, he said saints. He didn't say sinners. Because some of y'all are assembling, but not with the saints." You're assembling at the bar, at the resort, at the whatever. When you have that opportunity to assemble, you should assemble. If you work on a Sunday, you need to just find out what church God wants you to be covered by and fed by. But most of most of these folks, you want God to come and need somebody. I don't understand why I'm going to the hospital and why I'm going there. I mean, or why somebody's not praying for you. Let me tell you something. When you're not a part of a church, you have nobody fighting for you when you get in trouble because they don't know you exist. And if God is merciful, he's going to send you a nurse who's going to come by and drop a prayer and go. 
he'll send you maybe a little orderly technician, but you have no shepherding. And I want you to know what people don't know about being unchurched is that unchurched people are shepherdless. And God says to be without a shepherd is a curse. He said, but these people, he looked at Israel, laying all these lambs, laying up on hills and laying on, on whatever side of the road, laying down sick, beat up, violated, etc. And he said, let, they have no shepherd. Let these go. Just because shepherds are wrong or you think that they're wrong, that doesn't mean that you should be shepherdless. You need to find out, first of all, what the job of a shepherd is and what the responsibilities and the duties are. Because once you do, is it all right to say that? Once you find out what they are, then you can evaluate your own shepherds or the ones that you're considering. For example, not a lot of people know that Jeremiah has a whole lot to say about shepherds. Uh-huh. He lays out the whole thing. You don't even have to worry about it because Jeremiah tells you all about a, a, a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. Saul, God called a wicked shepherd. But David, he called a good shepherd. David was so good, he brought Jesus through that model, through that template. So some of you all, and, and some of you all are shepherdless because you are, you are literally your goats. You're not a good sheep. And, because, and when you harass enough of God's good shepherds, he will not direct you to a church. He will leave you alone because he will not continue to inflict that rebellion on his hard-working, already stretched shepherds. I've just been waiting for God to send me to a church. Is this your first one? No. Is this your second? No. Is your fifth church? No. I mean, that's the problem. I've been able to find a church where I fit. No, baby, there is no church where you as you are fit. So that means you're unfit for the man's church. Well, I just don't get it. I mean, I sit there and it doesn't speak to you. Then you need to find out why it doesn't speak to you. Because either you're not a Christian and you're trying to be, you're trying to get fed from a Christian church, or you have so many issues, judgments, and resentments about the man's church, you can't hear truth. Your ears are literally uncircumcised. Your heart's uncircumcised. You got too much flesh on you to hear the truth. When you when you see people who want to stay in churches that they know is perverted, you need to recognize that they are compatible sheep. You're compatible with that conversion, that 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 perversion. You 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 fit. You like that it's that it's sleeping. You love that sleeping. You like it. You like the horishness. You like that. You need that because it makes you feel like you have a place in this world. Because that church belongs to this world and not Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ said when a church does not continue to celebrate him or conform to his ways, he said, I removed their candlestick. Where is your church's candlestick? Because your church is not the light of the world and it's serving darkness. It can't be. And light and dark cannot coexist at the same time. Light has its place, and darkness has its place. As a matter of fact, when light and darkness meet together, we call it an eclipse, and we get a little concerned. 
So if you're having a problem finding a church, understand the problem is not the church because if the same thing keeps happening, guess who the carrier is? See, one thing you have to recognize, no matter what church you go to, you and all of your stuff go with you. And if they keep, I just don't understand. I have people say, I just don't understand why this keeps happening to me. I keep, I don't understand why you keep literally putting it on the church. Take a moment, sit down, and say what. It, and sometimes I say, well, what is this and what is it? You have to ask. Well, I got some. Um, just come on up, a team. I just want to show you, talk to you a little bit about. We did all that. You know, I got there. How not to sit. But don't say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord, and he will rescue you. Proverbs 20, 22. Come on up, Apostle. Let me tell you what they're saying. Don't be a hothead. Don't have a hair trigger temper. Bring yourself under. Find out how God wants to resolve a matter and hope in God's righteousness and expect God to stand up and deal with it. Wait on the Lord. Oh, that's a big one. Let's see what we're talking about here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The first step to waiting on God is loving. And before you can love God, you have to acknowledge that he is God. See, many of you all say, I really love the Lord. I just don't think he's almighty. I really love Jesus, but I'm not sure about. You know, I look at those, those um, what do you call them, those surveys where they talk about, you know, 60% of Christians don't believe Jesus came. Then you're not a Christian. Why are we having this conversation? Because he that comes to God must believe. So you talk about 60%, I just don't believe. You know, 40%, 80% of the Christians don't believe in the Bible. You're not a Christian. Because the Bible said we are born again from the incorruptible word of God. So if you don't believe in the Bible, you're not saved. You're going to hell because that's where you were born to. We act like we were born to God and then suddenly fell. No, no. Adam was born to God and fell to Satan. Everybody that comes from Adam belongs to the darkness. That's why Jesus said, I come as the light of the world. And so we, we have fun with those things. Don't you have fun with those? There's so much fun with those surveys. Isn't it great? Well, uh, you know, so-and-so teenagers saying that they don't read their Bible. Then what can I tell you? Christ is not in them. Because I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus gets in you, you're hungry for him. You're hungry. Well, Dr. Price, I don't know how you can say somebody's not saved because I am an agent of the Godhead. I'm a thronal agent. It's my job to make sure darkness doesn't get in God's blessing present, masquerading as the light, and it is also my job to see to it that Jesus has that which he gave his life for in his kingdom. And thirdly, to make sure that God's people are not deceived or confused about what a Christian is. You cannot be a Bibleist Christian. And if you are, your life has got to literally dramatize scripture every second of every day. That's we're born again by the word of God, not the doctrines of men. Jesus cursed that. Not the doctrines of devil and not seducing spirits. So when you have, and I look at those stats, I was like, wow, that's a lot of unsafe folks just masquerading in God's church because you're fake Christians. You're, you, you are, really, you're churching. You love the church. You don't like God's ways. God gets on your nerves. That's why you're not trying to be like him because you cannot... Uh, you cannot decide, I'm, I'm just, just going to be like Jesus because I'm just going to assume Jesus is like me. you got to be kidding. 
You really have to be kidding me. I look at the little churches around the corner. I look at these, these folks on the church flip-flops, thongs, uh, uh, shorts, uh, pants, uh, and all of that. And I thought, oh, y'all just need some sand. Um, <laughs> y'all don't need a pulpit. Y'all don't need a church. You just need some sand. Because you will dress up for court. You'll dress up for anything else. But you won't dress up for God. Because this is the, this is the thing that Satan does. He pushes to let all God's children celebrate how little they have to change for him, how much they can stay the same. That's not liberty, baby. I know they're telling you that, that but I'm just liberated. In We're liberated from clothes. No, you're not. Yeah. Trust me, you're not. Clothes can't, and can't liberate you. So that is not liberty. That is outright contempt. Here's the last one. care about God. Most of you don't care about God. You don't care that God says that in, in Ephesians 3.10, prison policies and powers are watching us to, to, to applaud his wisdom. You don't care about that. You don't care about discrediting God. You don't care about embarrassing him. You don't care about really offending or betraying him. You don't care about God. What you care about is just adding the church to your institutional package on earth. You don't care about him. Because in reality, God's not real. To you, there is no God. I wouldn't say there's no God. Yes, there would. You say it in your clothes. You say it in your words. You say it in your acting from church. You say it in your adamancy about not giving. You say it in a whole lot of ways. You say by your action, there is no God. You don't believe in God. And you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Because to you, believing in Christ is discrediting him. It's defiling his temple. To you, believing in Jesus Christ is literally neutralizing his cross, trampling his blood underfoot. That's believing in God for you, which means you don't believe. Care about God. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall Walk and not faint. Now, we, we hear that all the time. Don't we hear that all the time? We hear that all the time. Oh, little dog. She's just helping us out. I appreciate you helping us out, you know? So let's talk about this for just a moment, and then we're going to hear from the apostle in Christ. So they that wait on the Lord. Let's just see. Uh, what, are, what are they talking about? Wait upon the Lord. Um, to wait or look eagerly for, to lie and wait for, to wait for, to linger, to collect or bind together. When you're waiting on God, you are binding together. You, but here's what they didn't put in here, and I don't know why, but we just don't go on. But waiting on God means tending to God and attending to God. So when you wait, when I, when you go to that restaurant, that server waits on you. They bring you stuff. They remove your clutter. They inquire about your needs or your wants and your desires. They prepare things for you, or they instruct the kitchen to do stuff. 
You want to wait on God. And most of y'all have a term limit on waiting on God. All right, I'm going to wait three days. You know, Saul did that. He did that. Saul would not wait until Samuel came. And he, he instead broke God's law and, and, and literally stepped in Samuel's bed to offer to God what God didn't want him to do. You're a king. I don't need you to be a priest right now. I have a priest coming who's going to make I've anointed to make me feel good about what he's done to me. And some of you all are like that. That's why you have those little home altars because you're not going to church. You're doing a fall on God. Now, your family's at the church, but you at home with that little plastic dollar store altar. What? It's the truth. You said, and you said, well, I mean, but God said, I could, no, God has no replacement for him because you know why? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the holy habitation of God if you are filled with his spirit. So why do you need an altar when you have one in your body? Called your heart. Your heart is the altar. So all the little wonderful things you would put on that physical altar. Now listen, I'm not telling you not that you don't need it, whatever. I, people have asked me about it. I said, my life is so vibrant with God. I don't need plastic paraphernalia. I just don't need it. I mean, God speaks to me literally 24-7. We conversate about everything. I mean, from what I'm cooking for dinner, when I cook, I cook <laughs> when I cook, to the formulas that I make for whatever I do for my, you know, apothecary, to the word, to the food I'm going to wear, to the laundry I'm going to have, to why I can't get rid of this, this rash. God talks to me nonstop, and I taught my people to expect him to do stuff. But you can't expect God to talk about your wrath and to care more about your wrath than your sin. Because God rather you wear a rash and learn that it's not to sin. Huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. You know, Jesus said, I'd rather you enter life without an eye, without an arm or a leg, limping, dragging, I'm, I would rather you enter name, all names up, name, amputate. I would rather you make it in, but your body broke down, yeah. than for you to attempt to come in with a perfect body yeah. and a doomed soul. <laughs> See, yeah. pagan religions always want you to be about the body. Oh, yes. Because they cannot help your soul. So they want you to be, and they want you to think your soul is, 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 is your soul can make your body perfect, and your body can redeem your soul. But that's not Jesus. The Maker says, "I would rather y'all come blind, crazy, whatever, as long as that soul is sanctified by faith that is in me. As long as your soul is separated from your devil forever, God does not care." Now, once you and God work it out. Get real, you know, he gets you nice and clean, and he starts really loving you in his presence instead of tolerating and indulging you so he can sanctify you by the blood of the Lamb. Once he does that, God totally changed. He's the first of all God. He's really very personal. He's <laughs> amazing personality. Sense of humor, wonderful. And, and, and the, the, then he starts letting you come closer. 
See, because God keeps you at arm's length like you do a stinky baby. Honey, mommy loves you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let me clean you first before I can cuddle you. Before I can nest on you. Okay? Not only did you die before, you got dirt all over you, got stuff you've been eating wrong, you just mess, but you're my child. <laughs> You're all mine. I know it. <laughs> all of it. That's God with us. He's like, but you sang, and I can't have you close. And since I'm a king, I gotta let other things clean you up. You smell bad. You look bad. Hallelujah. Like, you know, nothing is worse than a teenage boy when they start kicking into that room. You want them in the other, other room all the time. And let it be the bathroom. It's like a garage. Yeah. Clothes, sneakers, whatever. But they, but they, but they, young, that's your kid. They, mm-hmm. That's your kid. Girlfriend, sis, so I'm moving over. You're like, oh. That's why this guy makes a big deal about the sense that's in his nostrils. Because sin stinks. To you, you think I can put some perfume on it and take a little shower and it's fine. But to God, sin is not just an odor or a, um, uh, 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 what do you call it, an atmosphere or emission. Sin is a condition. Yeah. Like rotted meat, you cannot put a whole lot of perfume or anything. You can season anything up the front and down the back. Cook it, Mike, with your best recipe. You know what? It's still going to make you sick. Yeah. Uh, Right. Yeah. And like so they don't have a God they love. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I'm going to stop. See, now you're being doctor. 
I'm a drink And and as a result, all of these strategic campaigns mm-hmm. to dismantle the church, we dismiss and slot as they just don't know any better. Not this is a campaign to take the church out, in which then and they tell us they do, but we don't believe that. Okay, because they don't know any better. They no. don't. Okay. No, because they don't know any better, they're not going to do any harm. Mm-hmm. And so then they end up recruiting things to do the work for them. Mm-hmm. So now we have pastors telling us it doesn't take all that, mm-hmm. and it started out here, and now it's in here. And I thought that was really great because. This is not intelligence. This is a campaign. It is. And a campaign is a warfare. Yes. So a lot of you all think it's just all about the politics, political election. It is a warfare. It is a literally a warfare of words and works that are postponing the weapons. You should write a book. Another one? Yes. Look, the word came forth. You have many books left in your pocket, but that's not what this one was about. All right. And when you said that Satan was born and lived as a citizen of God's world, and to, you know, remember that, I would say teach it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, what you said is true. No, he was born down here. He was created down here. And this is just that he's a prince of this world. And he just, you know, God would never. um, I just had this uh, conversation with somebody recently about how we think that heaven is uh, somehow fragile to sin. Yeah, And so it can't handle sin, which is why it's not there, because God is there. And so sin can't handle sin. Not that it was kicked out. I mean, we really need the genuine apostle doctrine to teach this to us as it is. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Good works. Ready for her? Yes. She's going to say something. Okay. Um, I think that the piece that you talked about, the education, you said that God wants to be known and that creation cannot handle the truth. You said you need education to differentiate and distinguish. I believe that that was really powerful because um, that whole conversation was about the fact that we shy away from education mm-hmm. and how important and valuable education is, why we need it, why we have to have it. So I thought that that was really powerful and a plug for Price University about why you should do this. Why should you enroll in a school like Price University? Why should you be being trained in these particular subjects and these issues? I think it goes even back to the conversations that we've had about why prophets specifically don't think that they need to be educated, um, thinking that just the speaking of it mm-hmm. is enough with no understanding. So I thought that was powerful. The education distinguishes and uh, di- differentiates. Uh, you also talked about how you have to be committed to the integrity of truth, and that it, without that, that you could be saying something that God didn't pull you back. Mm-hmm. See, I think that was really powerful, too, because then it shoots down the sea and saying, you know, theory. Mm-hmm. I see it, I say it, I just, this is what I saw, or this is what I heard I just said, without the understanding of why that understanding piece is so important. Mm-hmm. So, again, really, really powerful things. I mean, I could go on, but those are pieces that I wanted to definitely, uh, okay, give me another one. Okay. Go on, just not on and <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, I think that, I think that um, we would appreciate you going back to your piece about how Research revelation brings about realization. How important is the realization piece? And, and why, 
what aspect of that do you think that we're largely missing now in the body of Christ? Because we're releasing what we call revelation all the time. But you're bringing another piece to it to tell us that if our revelation hasn't been researched out, then we are speaking revelation without realization, and maybe you can expound upon that a little bit. One of the things that we need to clarify to begin the answer is that revelation and imagination are not the same. Okay. Much of what we are espousing as revelation is in fact imagination. And we imagine that we know God enough for God to say some of these really off the wall in anything. The fact that what you're saying is from the mouth of God is ridiculous. That can't be found in Scripture, can't track it anywhere. Revelation is traceable. Okay. It's trackable. It's discoverable. It's kind of like your device. When you bring another Bluetooth device, it says your device is discoverable. Yes. In a minute, it's going to reveal to you what it discovered, what it tracked. So revelation is not just communication, and we think of it like that. It's not just an utterance blamed on God's divine world. Revelation, true revelation, is actually unveiling. You know, the word deal is veil. So revelation is pulling back the veil on something that is ordinarily or previously hid. So when you say God revealed something to you, he pulled back the veil of his world or the veil of the darkness in your mind for you to see what's always been there, but you were blind to it. So when you talk about people, you know, well, God revealed this to me. God did not bring something to the planet that wasn't. Revelation is about that which already existed and pre-exists your discovery. That's powerful because the word discovery is take the cover off, break the covering. So everything about God is, is, is all about whether or not you see. We God doesn't need the revelation. Paul said it was revealed to us. All the stuff that has been going on in God's world and God's character and his, his people, all of that. The, God's world encircles this one, upholds, and covers it. Actually, it quarantines almost. So when, so when God commanded blindness, uh, Isaiah 29 uh, talks about this, God blinded us to him. And to his truth, into his world. He blinded our hearts and our minds. And then Paul finds out in Second Corinthians 3, I believe it is, that the blinders are real, but that the veil, the veil, revelation is taken away when you're in Christ. So unfaithful people don't have a revelation of God. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can't get a revelation because the Holy Ghost is the only one with access to archives and authority to disseminate or distribute. So 
So the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit takes of what is his, and he's the word. So the Holy Spirit takes of what is Jesus, and he shows it to us. That's revelation. If it's not in Jesus, it's not from God. Now, you have to recognize the difference between revelation and communication. There are a whole lot of things that you can say about God. There are a lot of things you can detect and pick up because you do have a spirit within, but that doesn't make it a revelation, meaning a, a hidden mystery or hidden truth that God chooses to disclose to you, to show you. In other words, it's a showcase. So I'm pulling back this shade, or when you think of it as going to a stage play, and you know how they shut the, the, the curtains and then you, they make all this noise. If they're not good and if they're really good and they open it up again, it's a whole new thing. Now that thing, all of that was there. But they had to put it together for you and assemble it. And, and as long as that curtain was shut, all you saw was the curtain and heard noise. So the reason you research is because you, you have to do some very important things. Number one, you have to verify. No need of getting out there saying something is a revelation because it struck you as interesting. Yeah. It struck you as knowledge. Just because you lack knowledge doesn't make something a revelation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just got, it struck you. You know, why that got me? <laughs> it struck you. So it could be a personal revelation, but frankly, it could be, since you never knew it, it always exists. It can be a revelation, but in your case, it's probably more of a disclosure or information. So the first thing you want to do is you need to verify that it's a revelation. Secondly, you need to verify the source of that revelation. Did it come from the Word of God, or did it come from what, what the pagans like to say, the universal knowledge of the cosmos? Because, see, a lot of that stuff that they're telling you, that is not Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge of the universe. There are universal principles. There are universal knowledges. There is universal um, information and, and um, what can I say, concealment that comes to you as you grow up and mature in the planet. But Paul calls it the wisdom of this world. And he says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God and Christ. God said, I just laugh. You know, when I watch some of those those um, documentaries and whatnot, I said, so God, how true is that? He said, not much. I said, well, God, why do you let them go on? He said, they got to do something. Oh. I said, oh, okay. He said, I made them. I got to occupy their lives. If they don't want to seek me, I still got to occupy their lives. So you have to think about the source, and you have to think about, the transmitter, who's transmitting that to you? One of the things that I have learned in my years with the Holy Ghost is that Satan is always trying to transmit his thoughts to you. And he kind of mixes, he kind of mixes it up in Scripture and wrangles it because he's always finding you for his message of your voice, your opinion, your thoughts, your faculties. So you have got to know that word to know that not only is it not God, but that, that word is irrelevant to what God is doing in your life because revelation must be relevant. So 
we, we want to make sure you, you figured out the story. The next thing you want to make sure is that your mind comprehends it as God transmitted it. A lot of us like to paraphrase and flip a word and, and alter it and all of that stuff because in your word, you, we, as humans, we always want to go get to the end in a hurry. So you want to do the cliff notes. You want to do the, well, uh, let me just, I'm going to break it down. Well, I'll, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And you're going to flip it into a slogan. And so you can't track a slogan. You can only repeat it. Because the author of that slogan is not going to tell you where it came from because they don't know. Or if they know, when are you going to cross their path? So you want slogans and cliches. Those are all substitutes for true revelation meant to fascinate and meant to entice. So you have to know the difference between a revelation, imagination, and fascination. You want to fascinate people. They're trying to fix your fascination because they cannot penetrate your pneumatic intelligence or, or, or what God is really put in you. So you have to make sure that you're not being fascinated or entertained. And it's called revelation because revelation is kind of like PhD of, of, of Christian dogma and theology. Okay, I got all this revelation. Paul said, by revelation, God revealed to me what? What was already existed. And if you don't know what already exists, you can't call it revelation. You have to call it new information. If you don't know God's word, that's why I wrote before the garden, to help people get more accurate and precise revelation that's traceable and trackable, that it's knowing that it all comes out of a continuum that has been working since long before the world began. So you want to make sure you understand that. Make sure you can track and trace. And then make sure if you, that you are able to research every step, every element, the term, terminology, phraseology. You want to make sure that you can resource, research it so that when God wants to pull that revelation up, it's like a prison. He can, uh, a prison, he can adapt it to whatever the circumstance is and use it and it remains true. So now we're moving to realization. The funny thing about realization that we don't pay attention to is the first four words are real. Mm. See, revelation is just that simple. Once you get it, it's like, well, duh. Revelation, after you research it, it's duh. Like, yeah, like, right, like, obvious. But yeah. And so you can affirm it once it gets to your realization or once it becomes real to your world and your life. So a piece of revelation is God taking a chunk or piece of this world and its archives, dropping it into a human being that is faithful, diligent, etc. with him, or that it's a, it's a dire situation, and then letting them research it. If God doesn't want you to research revelation, that's because he doesn't really care about it hitting your intelligence. He just wants to communicate. He doesn't give you up an intelligence about it. That's why so many of you all are happy saying, well, I don't know what it means. I don't know what God is saying. Well, don't ask me. Ask God. Well, that's because God has literally barred you from breaking the seal on that thing. He, has, he just wants to communicate it because he wants somebody else to break the seal. Wow. <laughs> 
So you, if, if God keeps giving you revelation and all he wants you to do is see and say, is because he does not trust you to break the seal. He won't unseal it to you because in his mind, you either don't have the capacity to do what he wants to be done with it, or he can't trust you with the fidelity of that truth that he has just passed through your faculty. So don't be excited when you, and cheering when you say, well, all I know is I got it by revelation, and here it is. All he wanted you to do is voice it. He doesn't care if you comprehend it. He doesn't care that you pass on knowledge. He doesn't care that you break somebody else's darkness. If that's not it, that is the, the height of your trust. That means God has fidelity issues with your divine communication, history, patterns, and attitudes. He has fidelity issues. And see, people need to start telling you so you can stop being affirmed in your indifference to his truth. We, 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 we literally affirm indifference. We literally affirm dismissal. When God started telling me something, I'm like, what does it mean? When you read your Bible, when God spoke to people, they always ask him what it meant. Yes. They always say, help me. Tell me. When God doesn't want you to get a revelation of something or, or, or to break the seal on a revelation, like with Paul, um, my fault, John. John's on Patmos, and I mean Jesus is breaking this thing down. The future is being um, transmitted to him, open to him, and he's getting disclosures after disclosures. Jesus is doing it. That angel is saying, hey, we got this. We're doing it. And then he said, listen, what you see, write it down. They gave John a book, a spiritual book. Gave him a book, told him to start writing it until the seven thunders. And he said, Don't write that. Because I don't want to break the seal on it yet. When you look at the seven seals as they're being broken, you realize that the earth has existed all this time and God never has unsealed its state of existence. Those seals are the state of the planet as the Holy Ghost, as God has been mystifying them. And we just operate. If you think of Psalms 49, where it said, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things that have been kept secret since the foundation of the world, you recognize that God will give you words that you can't understand, can't explain, and probably can barely articulate. Like, you know, he'll give you words. He'll give you terms. He will give you a vision and won't crack the seal on the vision because he just wants you to tell it. Because if he wanted you to teach it, he would have halted you and instructed you. He didn't want you to teach it. He just wanted you to tell it. His brother James says, hey, let's not all try to be teachers. Because teachers have a stricter judgment, harsher judgment. Why? Because the minute he allows you to break the seal on a revelation, he's got to judge you for your quality and your fidelity. So it's really kind of easy that he just goes on and says things. That's why prophetic gifting can tell you a prophecy and can't tell you what else. I don't know what the Lord is saying. He just used my mouth. And we're excited about that. And you know what? That's true. But that's also a very entry-level prophetic or prophesying. 
God just gives you that. And you give it, just pass through, kind of like those PSAs. They just go through all the process. PSA, nobody knows what he's talking about. There are other times that he doesn't tell you because he realizes that the contemporary world is not ready to grasp the enormity of what he is showing you as a revelation. But yet, you can get it. I wrote 1995 and beyond, way back in time. I wrote Changing of the Gods in the 90s, and what I wrote was totally inconsistent and incompatible with the then move of God. But I had to write it. And I was so upset nobody was getting it. He said, I didn't give it to him. I said, okay. It took me a lot of years to be comfortable with God's regulation and, and, and uh, uh, what do you call it, legislation management of his system. Operation of his hands is what the psalm says. So I, right now, when he gives me a revelation, he knows I can hold it for 30 years because I did. He knows that I don't have to brag and, and, and blow my own, own horn. Many times people talk to me once they swear, I got you, girl, you don't have me at all. You know why? Because I ain't got me. <laughs> Jesus got me. I'm here in Christ. I have not, sometimes I'm stunned by the things that I when I wake up and come from those classes or when we sit down and I'm stunned by the things that God says and just want someone to hear. But if you want him to talk to you, you have to treat him right. And you have to treat his his disclosures the way he needs you to treat them. If you want God to talk to you, you're going to have to prove your fidelity, integrity, your morals, your ethics. Why? Why does he care about morals? Because God's not going to give Satan truths that he shut him out of. Because we have to recognize that revelation for God is, uh, also makes him vulnerable. Yeah. It makes his secrets vulnerable, not him personally. But it makes his secrets and his concealment destabilized. That's why God has classifications of, of ministers. We don't want to talk about that. We're all the same. No, you're not. You're not all the same in the world. You go to work. You go to church. You're a deacon. You go to work. You're a janitor. Where's that? Come on. Now, there's nothing wrong with either, but don't assume that, that because you're a janitor, you don't understand how to be humble and understand the hierarchy of the Almighty because you work in a hierarchy. And no, my people don't even see you when you pass them by with a phone. Because they're going to the hierarchy. They're going to the higher. And God has levels of revelation and disclosure. Levels. And he says it he said, because he says, if you come near him, it's only because you know he's holy. If he allows you to get up close and personal, it's because he can trust that you will glorify him in all you do. You've been, we've been running around in the church oh, for the last several years. People are like, what's the word of the Lord? Because y'all, I mean, come on, we sheep are smart. We're smart enough to know that what we've been hearing for the last 20 years only matters for 15 of them or for 10 of them. After that, we moved into repetition and redundancy. And so the sheep are like, uh, how many years are we going to rehash the same thing? You sit there, everybody's still preaching the same sermons. You cry because God did not tell them what he was doing. He closed them out of his revelation because the last revelation that he gave them 
conscience. See, a lot of people have what I call the Babylon syndrome, Babylonian ambassador syndrome. You, you, you know, Elijah said, well, what did you show them about our king? We showed them everything. But what did you show them? We, there was nothing in our kingdom that we did not show God's enemies who sent ambassadors to learn his secrets. So in order for him to protect himself and to make sure that the word is not preached by the errant or the heretical before time so that they can gain the advantage of his people or they can prosper off of this economy, he just doesn't say it. I can't tell you, I'm going to say this, and, and we're going to wrap it up, but I, I, I wish I could tell you how many people said to me, so why did God give it to you? Because they don't think God is a person. Because if they thought God was a person, then they have to figure out, they have to accept something, and that is God has levels. He has classifications. He has boundaries and limits. He talks about that. Amos talks about the stairs of God or the levels of God. He has strata and he has spheres, and he has people occupying every one of them. And the, the more we prove ourselves faithful with that which is least, the more he gives us. You see, I didn't tell God's secrets ahead of time. Still don't tell a lot of them because I know they have a date and time stamp on them. They have a season. There's a Cairo stamp on them. There's a chrono stamp on them. So I don't tell them. Because he said this is for an appointed time. See, we don't care about God's appointed time. We care about our opportunities to do set of things. And if it costs God, so what? Let somebody else do it. You don't care if people stumble. You know, I said something um, recently to someone. I said, well, I can't really tell you that because it will cause you to stumble. Now, I told this person because they can receive it. Other people, I just don't say I can't tell you. Because most people will say, don't tell me pride jumped up. Don't tell me I'm a stumble. I know God like you know God. I'm not talking about knowing God. I'm talking about knowing his kingdom and his drugs. You stumble over that. You already mad because I hurt your feelings. <laughs> now, the smart person says, that's okay. I'll wait until that time. Yes. And I've had prophets and apostles say, yep, I don't need to know that now because I don't need to entertain that or prophet the weightiness of what that means as it begins to circulate through my system. Yeah. I think it's um, offering time. Because. I think it's offering time. And also sharing time. Share this broadcast. When we share this, we multiply and it really matters. So take a moment to hit the share button and share this with your Facebook community so we can multiply the exposure. And at this time, we're going to go ahead and receive your offering, your gifts, and the seeds that you want to sow today. Rachel's going to put that on the screen for you guys. You have Cash App, um, which is Dr. Paula Price. That's her handle there. And then PayPal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. You can also use text to give 6081378. Time to sow. This is good ground. You know it is. Time to make that investment. So we're going to actually take a moment to do that very important task. And then share this. After you sow your seed, share this broadcast today. And share, share, share. And share, share, share. You've got Two minutes. Is there anything you'd like to say? We are in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. We are in Tulsa. People sometimes don't know where we are. Mm-hmm. We are in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we have church every Sunday, Congregation of the Mighty in Bixby, Oklahoma, which is the Tulsa area, 10 a.m. 
It really is. You can go to Dr. Price's website. It is not the same location as Price University. So if you visit this at the school, don't think you're coming to the same place. But the, oh. church, the church is in a church facility. And so that is where we are Sunday, 10 a.m. We want you to come and visit us. Maybe you're thinking about coming home. You want to see what Sunday service is all about. Maybe you're not coming home. You're not moving to Tulsa, but you still want to come to a church service. Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah, we have people who roll through all the time. But I got to get my, yes, my quarterly visit in, in in the home base, the headquarters in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we want you to do that. We also broadcast Sundays online, 8 a.m. Central Standard Time, in Sunday School with Prophet Adia, who takes this word and Yes, she does. And then Dr. Paul Price, we start service at 10 a.m. We go live around 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And so we want you to plug into the whole ministry. There's a lot going on. And do you have anything to say? I'm done. I just All right. Sunday, if you're in the public area, even if you're visiting, vacation, yes. join us. Yes. Yeah. We love visitors. And we love people who just drop on by and let us know that they're part of our family because regardless of how else this goes, we are family. Have a great weekend. Hallelujah. Make sure you watch out for our special offering of oil in the shawls and the cut. You're going to love it. Make sure you watch out for it. Until then, I love you all dearly. Have a great weekend. God bless.